Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. We all know from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. West Holm, which is based in Queensland in the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. West Holm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with Watson X Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM, let's create. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello and welcome to Saver, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have a classic episode for you about soft drinks. Yes, which I feel like is a topic that has come up a lot where we're always like, Remember that episode we did on soft drinks? Yeah. So here we are, bringing it back. <laughs> uh-huh. It was a very thorough one. Um, uh, it was originally published in December of 2017, um, called A Hard Look at Soft Drinks. Genius. Genius. <laughs> uh, and yeah, brief update for you, I suppose, um, uh, from the past few years. So soda sales had been on a decline for 15 years as of um, as of 2020, just last year. But as with many things, COVID just borked that up in really strange ways. Uh, sales of sodas increased very steeply during early shutdown as people stockpiled groceries um, and then continued at a more modest uptick um, as people opted for comfort foods during shutdown. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got my strong opinions about soft drinks. 
uh, which you'll hear some of yeah. in this episode. Very strong, yes. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yes. So it feels kind of <laughs> odd to me, but uh, I, I get it. And like I said, I do miss that first, uh, I've said it many times, I miss that first sip of Coca-Cola. So, so good. Biting. Oof. Yeah. Beautiful. Ooh. I saw some controversy that Coca-Cola was changing their recipe recently. Oh, no. And people are already mad about it. Like, wow. Huh. <laughs> if it showed up on my, like, radar and I wasn't looking for it, yeah. that's an indicator. <laughs> that is. Oh, I haven't heard about that. I'm curious now. Mm-hmm. I have s- such low stakes in this, but, like, oh, I, I know, know. But like I said in the recent Lister Mail episode, I'm still, like, you can't do that, Coca-Cola. And I don't <laughs> drink it. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Well, uh, in 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 other news, I guess, um, expanded low sugar or no sugar options um, within the soda market are expected to create growth over the next decade or so. Um, I know that personally, I've been drinking a lot more flavored seltzers um, mm-hmm. uh, or flavored carbonated waters than I ever did before. There are many options on the market. Um, we did have that sponsorship yeah. one time with I Drink Mate. Yes. Which is one of those uh, one of those home carbonation companies. Um, I don't think that those ads are running any longer, um, but I will say they sent us one of the units and it works so well. It works yeah. so much better than competitors. I genuinely recommend if you like soda water as much as I do, checking out that product. It it's just yeah. it's it's a very well thought out product. Yeah, I use it every day, and it's I love the experimentation. Like, well, yeah. can I can I carbonate this? Let's yeah, because <laughs> it's got this like specially designed lid thing, so you can put anything in there and try to carbonate it. Uh, yes. <laughs> There's been some wild experiments at my home. Um, <laughs> so far, no disasters. So far, Heck all yeah. One that one concerned great. me for a bit, but it was oh, um, yeah. I will say, I recently uh, got to visit a friend, uh, and we did. We watched Black Widow together, and it was great. Oh um, yay! Uh huh. And he had stocked with him a particular local brand of um, sparkling water. That we used to have at our office all the time, and I would just oh, drink uh, like throughout the day. Montaines, yeah, Montaine. yeah. yeah. If y'all can get a hold um, of that, that that is also also not a sponsor, also just a great heckin' brand. Yeah, and I I took a sip of it, and I was like transported back oh. to to hanging out in the office because it's just so associated oh, with that yeah. for me. That's where I would get it. Sure. Um, yeah. So I can yeah, I totally can see people having like these memories and comforts. With uh, soda water and carbonated drinks. Absolutely. Uh, Mm -hmm. um, Well, uh, yeah. uh, This this is a this is a beast of an episode. So I suppose uh, with with no further ado, we will let former Annie and Lauren take it away. Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Annie Reese. And today we're talking about soda. Or is it pop? Or soda pop? Or Coke? Or a soft drink? Huh. Or tonic? Haha. I don't know. It's carbonated water. Yeah. It's pretty much all of the above, I suppose. Uh, sure. It, it encompasses non-alcoholic 
usually carbonated, usually artificially or naturally flavored beverages. Another thing that most soda contains is edible acids. As opposed to inedible acids, which it's good that they don't contain. Right. Yes. Very good. The name or names were to differentiate soda from juice and also from alcohol. There are so many types of soda around the world. Made the soybean, carob, cane juice, buffalo cheese-based whey. What? Mate. Send in your favorite listeners. Send us your, all of your soda, your pop, your, oh, <laughs> a Statue of Liberty joke. Oh, boy. Oh, my goodness. But wait. Well, what? What's carbonation? Oh, The simple answer is that it's carbon dioxide kept dissolved in water. But there are some scare quotes around simple. Mm -hmm. That's because carbon dioxide has basically no interest whatsoever in getting itself permanently mixed up with water. Like little bits of carbon dioxide will dissolve into water, but the water molecules can't hold on to it. Most of the gas just floats on top of the liquid. To convince it to stay put, you have to apply pressure. Uh-huh. Not like a deadline or something, a like physical oh. pressure. Uh, th- this big squeeze forms sort of cages of water molecules around carbon dioxide molecules, holding them in place. It helps a lot if you do so at cold temperatures, where all the molecules involved are less active and more willing to pack it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, think of it like a busy elevator, okay? If the AC is out, you might be less willing to crunch a whole lot of people in there. As temperature increases, pressure also increases. Uh, If you dissolve carbon dioxide in water at cold temperatures, you need less pressure to do so. Mm -hmm. Mm. If you've done all of this right, your carbonated water will contain about five times as much carbon dioxide as water by volume. This is a supersaturated solution, meaning that as long as you keep it under pressure, you can let it heat up to room temperature or a little bit above without any gas escaping because you've kind of temporarily changed the rules of physics for water as to how much it's willing to accept at at a given temperature. Wow. Temporarily changed the rules of physics. When you bottle carbonated water, it won't bubble much as long as you keep it contained under pressure because the water and carbon dioxide are at equilibrium and the surface tension of the water is sort of holding everything in. But if you release the pressure or increase the temperature too much, the gas will bubble out. That's what happens when you pop the lid on a soda bottle or leave a two-liter of Coke in a hot car for too long. Oh, mistake. Oh, yeah. Another thing entirely is happening, though, when a can of soda explodes in your freezer. Mm. Water molecules have to be liquid in order to contain carbon dioxide. When those molecules start to freeze, they A, increase in size, and B, push the gas molecules out, which eventually will explode the can. Also not good. No. Uh, so so that's your, your basic carbonated water physics. But, hey. Hi. <laughs> why, why do we find this stuff so delightful? Is it the bubbliness? Yes. It is? It's yes. specific parts about the bubbliness. Oh, okay, so it's a combination of different things that the bubbles are doing. Uh, a combination of scent. You know, the bubbles will bring a draft of the beverage up to your nose, mm-hmm. plus sensation, the bubbles against the tongue and the mouth and in the nose, plus the, the bite and flavor of a bit more acid than still water has. And that's because some of the carbon dioxide forms the compound carbonic acid as it interacts with water. But the really fun thing about this is that that acid formation, that that acidic bite, doesn't just happen on its own. 
Our tongues actually have cells that contain this enzyme that catalyzes the hydration of carbon dioxide. So when we drink sodas, our mouths are beakers in which this chemical reaction is happening. And the end result of that reaction is that some free protons are released, and those free protons trigger some of our sour-sensitive taste buds. Oh, that's such a fun way to think about drinking a soda water. Yeah. Uh, my mouth is now a, a beaker in this experiment. <laughs> yes. Very scientific. <laughs> Very. <laughs> uh, also, about the physical sensation, a research out of the University of Southern California indicates that carbon dioxide bubbles trigger specialized nerve cells in the nasal cavity, the same ones that register the burn of horseradish and mustard. It's a slight pain sensation. Uh-huh. So if you really love soda, you're a little bit of a masochist. Think about that, listeners. Hey. Look deep within yourself. But hey, when I said that we find this stuff delightful, we find it really delightful. We really do. The soft drink industry is massive, primarily dominated by Coca-Cola and PepsiCo, Inc. Coke alone has 500 brands, Ooh. 17 of which make over a billion U.S. dollars a year each. Although not all of those are soft drinks necessarily. The average American guzzled 55 gallons a year in 2001. Mm -hmm. Both Coke and Pepsi have bottling operations locations in 120 countries. However, they have been experiencing something of a slump lately. Mm -hmm. For the first time, bottled water outsold soda in 2016 in the U.S., and sales have been steadily decreasing over the last 10 years. This has to do with several factors, many of them health-related, concerns about sugar and the FDA's investigation into the potential carcinogen caramel coating, obesity fears, soda taxes, the whole cavity dissolving your tooth thing, and more recently, the water crisis in Flint. One thing to note, though, is Pepsi and Coke do own most bottled water. Anyway, um, (laughs) what makes this especially interesting is that soda was originally seen as a health drink. (laughs) Which brings us to our history segment. But first, it brings us to a quick break for a word from our sponsor. During the Right Rug Flooring Hello Summer Sale, you'll find savings throughout the store, all backed by the right price guarantee, including carpet with a lifetime stain warranty, only $159 installed with pad. That's right, $159 includes expert installation as soon as tomorrow. Visit rightrug.com, R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com to find a showroom near you or schedule a free in-home shopping appointment. Say hello to summer and save. Right Rug Flooring, right here, right now. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today 
at purdueglobal.edu. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Mm -hmm. Soda's history starts with mineral water found in natural springs. In ancient times, bubbling water fascinated people. For centuries, fizzing water was thought to alternately give strength and health or to house dangerous supernatural beings. In 400 BCE, Hippocrates believed mineral water could be a cure for disease. Uh, The reason that that mineral water naturally bubbles is because of the minerals that are dissolved in it. Underground, it's kept a little bit pressurized, and then as it bubbles up to the surface, it literally bubbles because of all those salts in there. Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. Exactly. And the idea that mineral water could fix things like gallstones and infections spread with the Roman Empire in 216 BCE, Hannibal, the general, stopped at a natural spring in France with his... <laughs> Not the cannibal. I, well, oh. I thought I should specify. Oh, thank you. Thank yes. You. He stopped at a natural spring in France with his 37 war elements. War elements. That is a thing. War elephants. There you go. And 46,000 troops before heading to Italy to fight. These are the same waters Perrier comes from oh. to this day. Oh. Mm-hmm. Before Christianity became the way of the land in Scotland, couples might get married in the marriage well. The bubbly water was thought to endow good fortune. At the same time, in Georgia, the country, stone bathtubs were erected so locals could put effervescent spring water in them and enjoy a nice bubbly bath. A handful of scientists tried to pin down what was behind this fizzy water. In 1340, Italian physician Giacomo de Dondi <laughs> looked into it with the intention of finding out the secret behind mineral water's curative powers. He concluded the residue left behind from evaporated mineral water was mineral salt. A couple of centuries later, in 1535 Switzerland, Theophrastus Paracelsus attempted to reverse engineer a man-made spring. He, too, believed that mineral water had medicinal value, and he went on to become a leader in the field of adding chemicals and minerals to medicine. And then in the 1600s, after doing a bunch of tests with gases and things like mineral water and fermented wine, scientist Jean-Baptiste van Helmont discovered something he called spiritus sylvestris. Today, we know it as carbon dioxide. Ah. In 1676, the first soda, which was a mixture of water and honey-sweetened lemon juice, was sold by Paris-based Compagnie de Limonadier. Ha, limonadier, that's what it would be. They sold their product from tanks on the backs of vendors. Kind of love. Robert Boyle's 1684 publication of his studies on mineral water provided the first method to analyze all the chemical things that mineral water had going on. And then the next year, we start to see some challenges to the idea that mineral water was a curative. 
German professor of medicine, Friedrich Hoffmann, published an outline of what he'd gathered from his own studies on mineral water. It essentially tore the whole premise apart and anyone who believed it apart. Oh. Yeah. However, he did think the minerals in mineral water were worth looking into medicinally. Depending on the mineral, the water could purportedly heal different things. One high in iron could be useful for upping your strength, for example. Oh, like like early research into vitamins and minerals. Sure. Exactly. Nice. In the 1700s, we get several advances in science relevant to soda's history. Scientists figured out the gases in the air. They figured out how mixing chalk and acid resulted in carbon dioxide, or as it was called at the time, fixed air. This was the same stuff English physician William Brownrigg confirmed was in a famous spring in Germany. That spring was located in the town of Niederselters, which may have led to the term Selters water and eventually the generic seltzer water. In France, Gabriel Vinal was able to produce aerated water in 1750, but he couldn't figure out a way around this kind of gross, salty residue it came with. So all of this culminated with Joseph Priestley's successful infusion of carbon dioxide into water in 1767, which he shared with explorer James Cook and James Cook's crew as a method for preventing scurvy. Which it didn't. No, but I bet it helped out with all those gin and tonics. Ooh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He got this gas from fermenting brewer's tanks, by the way, and in 1772, he suggested to London's College of Physicians that an air pump would produce even fizzier water. His, his main contributions here were, were methods of dissolving the gas into the water using pressure. At the time, bottles of carbonated water were corked. And, of course, this was problematic because there was no way to store an open bottle without all the gas just escaping. Priestley also apparently discovered oxygen and pencil erasers. Very prolific fellow. And this brings us to one Jean-Jacob Schwepp, which you might recognize his name. After reading the work of Joseph Priestley, Schwepp brought one of Priestley's machines with the goal of improving it. And in 1783, with the addition of a compression pump to Priestley's system, he did. At first, Schwepp donated these waters to local medical practices, but they weren't comfortable accepting it for free. So he started to charge a small amount, and soon, Schwepp's company in Geneva was born. At first, these bottles might have come torpedo-shaped and laid flat to keep the cork damp and prevent spillage. Uh, yeah, picture, picture a wine bottle that just doesn't have a base. It just tapers off like a, like a football. Yeah. It's actually, or a lemon. It's really weird. Yeah. I, I I got a good chuckle out of it. Also in the 1780s. An Englishman by the name of Joseph Brahma worked out a manual process for continually filling and carbonating the contents of bottles. He was also a locksmith and invented the flush toilet. The type of glass that could withstand the pressure was still expensive, though. Uh, soda bottles wouldn't really become popular until the late 1800s, like a whole century later. Until then, pretty much the only way to get carbonated water commercially was via taps attached to pressurized canisters containing the carbonated water. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, all of the old world ideas about mineral water being this healthy healing thing had also infiltrated America. By the early 1800s, Saratoga Springs, New York, had become a hotspot for rich health nuts to drink kind of gross mineral water. Thomas Jefferson wrote about it. I am not surprised at all that he did. 
1809, the first commercial soda fountain in the United States was opened by one Benjamin Silliman, a mineralogist and chemist from Yale. It was this hand pump set up at Tonine Coffee House in New York City. He manufactured the carbonated water in the basement, and it was piped up to the counter upstairs. And then the first patent for the means of mass manufacture of imitation mineral waters was issued in the U.S. in 1810, and the first soda fountain machine patented nine years later. In 1813, the first U.K. patent was filed for a portable, valve-based soda dispensing fountain. The the inventor mounted it on a horse-drawn cart and brought fizzy water throughout London. Ah, ooh. Other inventors improved on these mechanical designs, and by 1837, we had the modern spring-valve soda siphon. You know, like a, like a seltzer bottle. You know, like in the Three Stooges when they spritz each other in the face? Exactly like that. Okay. Uh, you know, something that can hold carbonated water at pressure and which you can uh, pour and or spritz out of without depressurizing the whole bottle and also without too much work. Yeah. Don't want to work too hard. No. In 1823, famous scientist Michael Faraday first reported how to liquefy carbon dioxide using high pressure. And Adrien Jean-Pierre Thilorier worked out how to produce solid, solid carbon dioxide, a.k.a. dry ice, in 1835. In another 50 or 60 years, only another 50 or 60 years, some uh, practical commercial soda equipment capitalizing on these methods would be developed. And as carbonated water was seen as beneficial to your health, pharmacists had the same skill set needed to mix health-promoting syrups. Most soda shops were thus situated inside of or attached to drugstores. Yep. One of the most famous examples of these health syrups is sarsaparilla. I wanted to ask you this. Is that how you pronounce it? Sarsaparilla. It does not look like that. Or sarsaparilla. Sarsaparilla. You can okay. say it either way. Well, however you say it, ha. it was a root thought to fix everything from eczema to syphilis. Oh, man, it does not do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> it just kind of tastes like root beer a little bit. Yeah. Um, Another reason for the pharmacist soda connection is taste. Most medicines tasted flat out awful. So to improve it, you'd take your gross tasting medicine to conveniently located soda counter and get it mixed with something to mask that terrible taste. At the time, you already might be mixing it with alcohol, so soda water was promoted as a healthier alternative to that. Ah, However, sometimes drugs the FDA now classifies as narcotics were added to soda water. So, yeah. Yeah, Sort of evens out on the alcohol versus narcotics sort of scale. Sure. Sure. That's thought to be where the phrase pick-me-up comes from. Your morning medicinal soda water. (laughs) Um, A lot of these drugs came from a class defined in 1855 called Nervines. This class included things like cannabis, opium, heroin, and, of course, cocaine, which was revered as this miraculous cure-all when it was first discovered. Most recipes that called for cocaine used about 0.01 of it, which is a tenth of a line of coke. I read that somewhere. That is not from experience. (laughs) (laughs) I love whatever scientist wrote that in. Yes. So people... Probably didn't get a massive high from it, but it was still addictive and very different from today's standards. Mm -hmm. Your order might go something like this. One cocaine and caffeine concoction, please, and how? (laughs) 
<laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. But that was the thing that you might you might go up in your, in the morning. Yeah. And, you know, put it some pep in your step. I it it would certainly work, I suppose. I suppose. Uh, in 1831, carbonated water was removed from the United States Pharmacopoeia's annual pamphlet, which is a sort of encyclopedia of drug information, which means that despite drugstores still being a main source of soda fountains and some concoctions boasting health claims and many people still associating carbonated water with medicine, it was solidly making the switch to a fun times drink. How fun. Socially acceptable fun. Ah. But with the temperance movements of the early to mid-1800s, some people, women in particular, were looking for places where they could socialize without the stigma or sometimes the safety issues of places that served alcohol. Soda fountains were frequently, you know, bright with these stainless steel counters and white uniformed soda jerks. Soda jerks also <laughs> sometimes faced uh, some hazards. Oh, oh, yeah. At the job, primary, primarily of which uh, the potential for exploding soda fountains or falling into vats of sulfuric acid. Huh. The the the, the term jerk comes from the motion of of the of the handle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, jerk, you jerk the handle. Alternate names for soda jerks include fountain chemists and licensed. Physicians. Oh, I've never heard that, but I hope that somebody was like happily introducing himself to the potential like <laughs> parents of someone he wanted to marry. Like, what do you do, kid? Oh, I'm a licensed physician. <laughs> I'm sure they were very impressed. I think that was more a, a fun slang term than a serious one, but <laughs> at any rate. It was quite fun. Yes. Yeah. You could buy a bottled soda water in the U.S. beginning in 1835. The process was sped up in 1850 with innovations in the machinery used to make and fill the bottles. Steam power helped. Mm-hmm. It's estimated that New York City had more than 670 soda fountains by 1836. And there were so many innovations thanks to soda. The bottling industry alone saw more than 1,500 patents, especially with different types of caps. Oh, yeah. Folks were trying to figure out a way to keep those bubbles in. And in 1872, William Painter came up with the first successful solution, the crown cork bottle seal. Soon after, in 1851, ginger ale was invented in Ireland. Ten years later, we get the first use of pop in conjunction with soda. Ah. Mm-hmm. Root beer becomes available in 1876. And by then, nearly every city in the U.S. had a soda fountain. Also, uh, note that recipes like ginger ale and root beer were very common before they were first packaged and sold commercially. Also popular around this time, recipes involving West African cola nut extract. But there were just tons and tons of flavors becoming available, mostly due to advances in artificial flavoring, which developed out of the perfume industry. Everything from, like, banana to violet, walnut, wintergreen, everything else in between. Yeah. In 1874, we saw a patent for the first design of a soda siphon device that can use cartridges of carbon dioxide to carbonate the water in a bottle. This, this was the very beginning of soda stream-type machines. Soda stream-type machines? Soda stream type machines. Ah. And this brings us to a string of famous soda brands. But first, a quick break for a word from our sponsor. 
During the Right Rug Flooring Hello Summer Sale, you'll find savings throughout the store, all backed by the right price guarantee, including carpet with a lifetime stain warranty, only $159 installed with pad. That's right, $159 includes expert installation as soon as tomorrow. Visit rightrug.com, R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com to find a showroom near you or schedule a free in-home shopping appointment. Say hello to summer and save. Right Rug Flooring, right here, right now. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Okay. In 1885, Charles Alderton came out with an energy drink and brain tonic called Dr. Pepper. And yes, that Dr. Pepper. (laughs) At first, it was only served in the drugstore where Alderton worked in Waco, Texas. Customers used to order it as a Waco. Where, Where does the name Dr. Pepper come from? Ah, well... The store's owner gave it this name, um, and by the way, the period was done away with it. At first, they had a period, but now they don't have it because they don't want you to think an actual doctor was involved. (laughs) But the name is thought to come from the store owner's old boss, one Dr. Pepper. Hmm. I always thought it was linked to the Pepper Up thing, but then I realized that that might just be from Harry Potter. Is that a real thing? Uh, (sighs) This happens to me all the time. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) Dr. Pepper didn't become nationally available in until 1904 and after its grand debut to 20 million people at the World's Fair Exposition. It was originally sold as a cure for lots of things, uh, including smoking, alcoholism, and age. (laughs) Drink this Dr. Pepper and cure your age. (laughs) Do you think it makes you more, more mature or less? I don't know if it's fixing your smoking and your alcoholism. Oh, man. I guess... I don't know. (laughs) These are the questions. And here's a fun fact about me. There are about four foods I don't like. And Dr. Pepper 
might be what the very top thing. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. And a friend of mine put this to the test once because uh, she thought I was just being <laughs> stubborn, which is not an unfounded suspicion. Not at all. But she switched my Coke with Dr. Pepper, and um, I did the spittiest of spit takes and, like, ran to the bathroom. I was like, ah, gagging. <laughs> um, well, you're oh, welcome no. for that noise, by the way. Um, oh. And also, I don't drink soft drinks because the same person dared me to give them up. Oh. And I could see in her eyes she really believed I couldn't do it. So see above free stubbornness. Oh, anyway. oh I, I love Dr. Pepper. So does everyone in my family. I mean, I, I went through a serious Dr. Pepper phase when I was a kid, but uh, mm. I, I don't drink that many sugar drinks anymore, but I still yeah. like it. Uh, also in 1885, a concoction by the name of Moxie Soda appeared. It was a little bit bittersweet and involved sassafras and quinine and was marketed as a wonder drug. That would cure everything from paralysis to impotence to softening of the brain. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know exactly what that means. But uh, but this soda is actually where we get the word moxie from, you know, a slang for like nerve or courage. A popular ad campaign during the 1920s went, what this country needs is plenty of moxie. Ah. <laughs> it's, it's still available in New England. I tried some the last time that I was up there. That's great. I had no idea that that word came from a, a From a drink. corporation, Yeah. yeah. Speaking of a corporation, the following year, in 1886, pharmacist Dr. John Pemberton invented Coca-Cola. And while we still don't know the exact formula for Coca-Cola, we do know that for the first 17 years, it did involve cocaine. Which Coca-Cola still denies, but everyone else is like, nope, that was in there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is funny funny enough to us now, Pemberton was trying to find a painkiller free of opiates and habit-forming morphine because he was a veteran. And he came back and wanted like a a better alternative. Yeah. And he got the idea from a European chemist who combined coca leaves and wine to make something called Vin Mariani. The alcohol in the wine pulled the cocaine from the leaves and it was touted as a restorative beverage. Pemberton took that added cola nut extract and caffeine to make Pemberton's French wine coca. But he hit a roadblock with the temperance movement and prohibition laws, so he replaced the wine with sugar syrup, renaming his new concoction Coca-Cola. The first marketing campaign touted it as a nutrient beverage and tonic. Ah. It's hard to understate the cultural importance of Coke. We could probably do a whole thing on it. But oh, yeah. Yeah, it became the symbol of America. It's one of the most recognizable trademarks in the world. And thanks to their prolific and successful advertising, a lot of people believe they invented our modern-day rendition of Santa Claus. They did not. No, they did not. Also, they changed their slogan every couple of years. (laughs) And here are some of my favorites. The Great National Temperance Beverage, which was the slogan in 1906. (laughs) It had to be good to get where it is in 1926. (laughs) And what you want is a Coke in 1952. And also, finally, 1982's Coke is it! Exclamation point. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually pretty excellent. If you are interested, I would uh, recommend looking it up. Yeah. To keep costs down, Coca-Cola licensed out the process of mixing the syrup, packaging, and distributing to bottlers. Asa Candler, who founded the Coca-Cola company, didn't realize the potential profits of bottling and sold the rights to Coke's bottling process in 1899 for a relatively low price. Hmm. And uh, the early foray into bottling is one of the main reasons for Coca-Cola's success. We still use this model of bottling and franchising to this day. Oh, wow. 
also, it's interesting being in Atlanta and just seeing all these names. Coca-Cola is pretty big around here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of our streets are named after these folks. And one day, we'll have to do a whole episode on syrups and marketing deals and food advertising. Coke has a whole pledge about how, when, and how much they will direct ads to kids, yeah. which I read and was very in-depth. Oh, and definitely the the whole thing about flavoring syrups. It's a, a real challenge to get the flavoring of a soda just right due to the kind of uh, chemical uh, shenanigans that are going on in a in a bottle of carbonated water. Yeah. And again, in the world of Coke in Atlanta, at the end, the big draw is there's all of these Cokes from around the world or Coke products, but also just different like flavors, Coke. Slight, yeah. slight differences Slightly in formulations. And you can t- try all of them. So we'll definitely have to return to that. Yeah. Future date. I've never been, so. <gasps> oh, field trip. Okay. And an easily accomplished one <laughs> for once. Meanwhile, in 1888, the modern drinking straw was first patented. It was a manila paper tube coated with paraffin wax. We'll have to do a whole episode about straws. Yeah. <laughs> We've we got a lot of homework from this one. Yeah. In 1893, or possibly 1898, another pharmacist by the name of Caleb Bradham came out with an ener- energy-boosting, digestion-aiding drink called... Caleb's drink. Wait, that Caleb? What? <laughs> Who? <laughs> well, a couple of years later, they took the main ingredient, pepsin, which was an enzyme thought to help with digestion and cola nut extract to rename it Pepsi Cola. Oh. Yep. I should have seen it coming. I guess From I should Caleb's, have. From Caleb's drink? I, I, guess, I guess after Coca-Cola yeah. and Dr. Pepper, I should have. While Pepsi would later become Coke's main competitor, fluctuations in sugar prices led the company to go bankrupt twice before it was purchased by candy manufacturing company Loft Incorporated. In the 1890s, soda fountains started becoming more and more common internationally, especially in big European cities like London and Paris. This was helped by advances in refrigeration technology during this and the next few decades, making it more possible to serve ice cream drinks and sundaes. At soda fountains. Oh. Mm. By the time 1902 rolled around, people were increasingly wary of ingesting unregulated substances like cocaine. Uh, and I'm sure articles like this Los Angeles Times one titled, They Thirst for Cocaine, Soda Fountain Fiends Multiplying, oh. didn't help. Huh. And so began the phasing out of narcotic ingredients and replacing them with sugar. Like retro- retroactive lols? Due to everything we've been learning about sugar? hmm Yeah? Yeah. Uh, also, hey, the push for these regulations was sometimes marketed in a really super racist way. Mm. As in, like, black dudes use stuff like cocaine and marijuana and then assault white women while they're high, so we have to ban those substances. Which is terrible. And still influences the way that drug laws are written and enforced in the United States, which is even more terrible. Very, that's very awful. Uh, Yay. Yay. Sorry. All right. In the 1920s, we start to see the first automatic vending machines, and these things called home packs. Home packs. They are the six-pack cartons used to carry drinks like Coke. okay. Mm -hmm. The 1920s is also when Coca-Cola started aggressively advertising. Over the next 10 years in the U.S., we shifted further and further away from the soda fountain and more towards enjoying bottles at home or at roadside places once they started becoming more common in the 40s. The repeal of Prohibition wasn't great for soda fountains either. Oh, no. In 1929, 
Charles Leeper Grigg created a drink that at first contained believed mood-stabilizing drug, lithium citrate. It entered the market with the name Bib Label Lithiated Lemon Lime Soda. <gasps> that Bib Label Lithiated Lemon Lime Soda, you ask? <laughs> who, who approved of this name? I don't know, and they quickly realized that it was a terrible name and changed it to 7-Up. <laughs> I like how, wait... There's not even, I was like, seven, where's, nobody actually knows exactly where the name comes from. There's two prevailing theories, neither of which I find very convincing. But Bib Label Lithiated Lemon Lime Soda. Two seven up. Yeah. Huh. Very different. Yeah. Some of the first ads for it read, it settles the stomach for hospital and home use. Oh. Okay. Great. The Great Depression in the 1930s saw the beginning of the soda Value for volume race when Pepsi released a 12-ounce Pepsi bottle for the same nickel price as a 6-ounce bottle of Coke. Oh. And Pepsi did a similar thing with the price of syrups at soda fountains. They even had a popular jingle. Pepsi-Cola hits the spot. 12 full ounces. That's a lot. Twice as much for a nickel, too. Pepsi-Cola is the drink for you. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Coke resisted until 1955 when it came out with 10 and 12 ounce king size bottles. Oh, uh, Coke's partnership with McDonald's in the 1950s upped the ante too from 7 ounce to 16 to 21 ounces in 1974. And there's racism involved in this too. Yay. Uh-huh. Bottlers of Coca Cola claimed that larger sizes were more suited for people of color. That was one of the reasons oh. they were trying to resist. Uh-huh. And when Pepsi won market share in the 1950s, Coca Cola had an ad campaign to convince white people that the larger bottles were not just for black people anymore. Wow. Anyway, basically, capitalism is why New York has laws banning big gulps. Oh. Yeah, because they just kept being like, well, you can get this much for this much and this much for this much. And then them. eventually you're just driving around in a tank full of Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah, just fill our filler up, please. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, soda was first packaged in cans, tin cans, in the late 1930s, but soda cans would not really take off until aluminum took hold. Along comes Mountain Dew and Fanta in the 1940s, and Coca-Cola set up bottling operations in Europe for the troops stationed there during World War II. Oh, wow. This was a pretty good move because it endeared them. It endeared the brand to soldiers and their families. It set them up to enter the global market, and they cemented themselves as this quintessentially American product. And the soft drink industry... It's one of the best at advertising, and this became quite apparent after World War II with a slew of celebrity endorsements, movie tie-ins, TV ads, those aforementioned catchy slogans. But when the 60s ushered in a new focus on health and fitness, the industry had to adapt. So how did they do this? (gasps) They introduced sugar-free, diet, and caffeine-free options. The first no-calorie beverage, no-cal beverage, easy to remember, was introduced in 1952, Aluminum cans came along in 1957, pull ring tab in 1962, and you could find aluminum cans and vending machines starting in 1965. And then, in 1970, plastic bottles. Ah. Pepsi challenged Coke's dominance once again in the 70s and 80s with their blind taste test ad campaign, the Pepsi Challenge. Coke countered by changing their formula (laughs) to make new Coke in 1985. But as some of you you will remember, this was a gigantic misstep, and they quickly reversed course. In 1987, we see the formula for Red Bull. 
But it took until 2001 for energy drinks to really take off in the U.S. And then, more intrigue. Soda intrigue? Soda intrigue. All kinds of intrigue. In 2006, FBI agents in Atlanta, Georgia, they caught two ex-Coke employees and an accomplice attempting to steal and sell Coke trade secrets to rival Pepsi for $1.5 million. Wow. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. An undercover FBI agent met one of the perpetrators at the airport in Atlanta trading a box of Girl Scout cookies stuffed with $30,000, you know, for an Armani (laughs) bag filled with a a new product sample and confidential documents of Coke's trade secrets. Wow. Pepsi reported this attempt to Coke because they got a tip on their, like, tip hotline. Um, And Pepsi said, competition can be fierce, but it must also be fair and legal. Oh, wow. And then Coke's spokesperson promised that the secret formula was not and is not at risk. And, well, of course it isn't. It's in that huge vault at the World of Coke. We all know that. That's <laughs> what the whole tour is about. They're telling me it's not in there. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> Meanwhile, in 2009, SodaStream brand home carbonation machines became widely available in the United States, sparking a fairly huge popularity for that and like devices. Although this is kind of old news to Europe and other parts of the world, the company was actually established in 1903 by a London gin distiller and had been marketing to home consumers since 1955. If you're interested in this kind of thing uh, but don't want to go buy one, there's also a couple DIY instruction manuals uh, kicking around online for creating your own carbonation setup at home, which is a little bit more dangerous but also a bunch cheaper and more flexible uh, if you want to really get extra carbonation into your carbonated water drinks. So weigh out your options there. Proceed with caution. Yes. In the 20-teens, pushback against sugar's negative health effects has led to lots of proposed regulations against soda, and a few that actually passed. In 2016, Philadelphia became the first major American city to pass an anti-soda tax. It adds a little over a cent per ounce, like a cent and a half per ounce, of tax to every ounce of soda that is sold. In France, Hungary, and Mexico, they've got similar taxes, and the U.K. taxes soda makers directly based on the sugar content of their products. Not all of these efforts have been as successful as was hoped. It it does seem that smaller consumer taxes don't really do much good because soda sellers just absorb the cost rather than passing it on to their customers. Mm. Mm-hmm. But some of them have been have been relatively effective. The the Mexican tax is pretty high. It's done pretty well. And that UK one, I think, is is doing sort of okay. Also, over the past 10 years or so, the craft cocktail movement, along with that pushback against big soda, has created a space for handmade sodas to become popular again. And uh, classic soda ingredients, too, like, for example, acid phosphate, which is this partially neutralized acid plus mineral salt combination that was originally used as a cheaper and less perishable substitute for lemon and lime juices because it's sour, but with a twist. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's a pure, uh, tingly kind of sour, unlike citrus, which has, of course, lots of other flavor compounds involved. A related compound, phosphoric acid, is a component of lots of commercial sodas, but acid phosphate can now be found again behind some bars. Where it belongs. Mm-hmm. That was our history and some modern stuff segment. Um, and so now I got some science for you, a little bit of health. A little bit. Yeah, a couple extra little science carbon dioxide sort of facts around here. So, um, okay, okay, uh, the, the foam, the foam of soda. Yeah. The fizz. Mm-hmm. 
soda foams up around scoops of ice cream, mints, and basically anything else that you drop into a glass or a bottle because of the way that carbon dioxide bubbles make their exit Mm -hmm. from the liquid. The bubbles in carbonated beverages form, or seed, off of tiny ridges in the container holding them. You might have observed this in a champagne flute or beer glass, or when you drop a sugar cube into a cocktail that contains soda water, or in a glass of soda that has crushed ice or a straw. The bubbles form at particular points where the microstructures of the surfaces that are, you know, hanging out in the liquid are a little bit rough. Stuff like ice cream and mints and sugar cubes are made up of these incredibly complex, very pointy microstructures that give bubbles just hell of a chances to form. And so form and foam, they do. Also, a quick health note. This this came up on my Facebook feed one time in a a question. Is carbonated water just as good for you as regular water? Is it? Yeah, basically. Oh. Despite being slightly more acidic than most still water is, carbonated water hydrates you similarly enough to not make any kind of a difference. So if sparkling water encourages you to hydrate more than still water does, go for it. Unless you're trying to avoid uh, or cure a urinary tract infection or ulcers or any other condition in which you should avoid any extra acid in your diet. Mm -hmm. Other than that, if you like it, drink it. Excellent. Yeah. I have to to admit that I, um, I don't miss giving up soda soft drinks too often. But sometimes every now and then I have like a dream about that first sip. <laughs> oh, I know, bite. right? Uh, All I really want is the first sip. It's I know, so and then, strange. And then after that, I'm like, oh, someone else take this. Yeah. Is, <laughs> there's just cans so much opened of it. with one oh, yeah. sip taking out all over. Yeah, I, I love that all of the uh, non-sweetened carbonated waters have been coming out lately with all kinds of weird different flavors. Mm-hmm. I find those lovely. And yeah. I'm convinced that 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 McDonald's Coke really does. I don't know, like that that's like like fat from the fryer or something like that gets into it and just changes. It's it's so much better in a McDonald's than it is anywhere else. Well, that's why I really want to come back to food tie-ups, like because McDonald's is one of the reasons McDonald's and Coke their partnership. That's one of the reasons we have these like huge drinks. Yeah, and so I'm just intrigued to kind of look into that. Um, this, this episode had so many, like, offshoots and science, just innovations and history of famous people popping up everywhere. Oh, yeah. I, 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 and I kept, I feel a little bit bad. I feel like I didn't do any of the machinery enough justice. I I don't know. Maybe we need to, like, do a crossover with tech stuff or something like that and get some of that good soda machinery in there because it's really fascinating. It really is. And very intricate. (laughs) There's so many patents and they're all really beautiful. That brings us to the end of this classic episode. We hope that uh, you enjoyed. Uh, It was quite a beast, as you say, Lauren. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, uh, as Lauren knows, I have acquired through no choice of my own two (laughs) Dr. Peppers. And they're in my fridge, and they taunt me every time I open it, because I'm unwilling to get rid of them unless I can find a home for them. Yeah. I'm unwilling to waste them, but I don't want them in my home. Yeah. (laughs) There's also a Sprite in there that somebody uh, left. I'm uh, not as mad about that. Sure. But. You're not going to drink it. You're just not angry. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> did that 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 sponsorship with Dr Pepper happened, um, and uh, they were kind. They were kind enough to send us some product. Um, I I have to say I enjoyed mine. Uh, I promised the second bottle to my friend Cody, who who had done all of that uh, that research legwork for us for the Pokemon episode. Oh yeah. And I promised. I promised them one of those two bottles um, as 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 a thank you, and I keep mm-hmm. forgetting to give it to them. Um, well, two more, <laughs> their name on it if they want them. <laughs> yeah, um, s- send it my way. We'll we'll I'll, I'll figure out places to put it. <laughs> Just get a package of Dr Pepper's sad face on. <laughs> Anyway, this has turned into a lot of like, we like <laughs> these products and not these ones. Um, so we better get out of here before yeah. we make some people angry. Before we get in trouble. Um, uh. Yes. If you would like to email us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at SaverPod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. During the Right Rug Flooring Hello Summer Sale, you'll find savings throughout the store, all backed by the right price guarantee, including carpet with a lifetime stain warranty, only $159 installed with pad. That's right, $159 includes expert installation as soon as tomorrow. Visit rightrug.com, R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com to find a showroom near you or schedule a free in-home shopping appointment. Say hello to summer and save. Right Rug Flooring, right here, right now. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. What are you looking for in a new smart TV? 4K picture quality, high quality and immersive sound, a sleek design. All of those are givens, but only the new Roku Pro series has all of those and the Roku streaming experience, an award-winning OS. Get fast, easy access to all your apps like iHeart, where you can stream all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts all day and regular all-inclusive trips to Roku City. The new Roku Pro series, a smart TV built by the streaming pros.